this is one of those topics where just a little bit of training, just a little bit of coaching, just a little bit of advice can mm-hmm. go a tremendously long way and, and have massive impacts on that veterinarian's employment contract, their compensation, and, and basically their happiness. That is Dr. Lance Rosa, a veterinarian, lawyer, and so much more. And this is the Vin Foundation's Veterinary Pulse podcast. I'm Jordan Benchia, Vin Foundation's Executive Director. Join me as we talk with veterinary colleagues about critical topics and share stories. Stories that connect us as humans, as animals, as a veterinary community. This podcast is made possible by individuals like you who donate to the VIN Foundation. Thank you. Please check the episode notes for bios, links, and information mentioned. Hi, Lance. Welcome back. Hello. Great to be here. Well, I'm super stoked that you're here to talk about a topic that I have heard from a lot of people and a lot of colleagues that they are really have a lot of questions about. And it's sort of this unknown topic, which is or unknown knowledge, which is contract negotiation. And we're at this time of year where fourth years are going to be graduating, and they're probably looking at negotiating contracts for their first full time employment as doctors. And it seemed like this is probably a really good time to sit down with you and kind of get some of your best practices. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me. And this is actually one of my favorite topics to talk about. It's one of those topics that basically affects every veterinarian that's going to be employed at any point in their career. Right, right. And secondly, this is one of those topics where just a little bit of training, just a little bit of coaching, just a little bit of advice can mm-hmm. go a tremendously long way and, and have massive impacts on that veterinarian's employment contract, their compensation, and, and basically their happiness. Right. And I, I almost feel that if you set yourself up for success out of the gate, it just pays dividends throughout your career, right? Because if you negotiate that well in the beginning, right, really, you have the capability to do so much better. Yeah, even even an extra five or $6,000 early out of school will multiply year after year after year. And, and also too, keep in mind, Jordan, that's disposable income that, right. that a veterinarian can save, can put into an emergency fund um, that can pay down debt with. But mm-hmm. over the course of the career, 25, 30, 35 years, that adds up to real money, just a, just a few thousand more dollars. Absolutely. And I feel like if, if, you know, as they continue to grow in their career, if they're able to, you know, if they start at a higher level, then it's they're forever going higher, 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 right? Else they've got to make up that somehow, right? And that's hard. That's really hard. It's pretty rare that anybody takes a decrease in pay without, you know, a significant decrease in responsibilities or hours. And so Mm -hmm. you're exactly right. You you build on the salary that you already have and, and starting at a higher salary, starting at higher benefits allows you to build over and over and over on top of it. Absolutely. So let's just get right into it. What are some of the best practices for a new veterinary school graduate negotiating their first full-time employment contract? Yeah. So actually, you said something that caught my ear earlier. So you said, you know, that fourth years, you know, we're, we're entering that time of year, you know, the spring where mm-hmm. fourth years, and, and you're right, traditionally from January, February, March, April, that's when fourth years really started 
receiving offers and started reviewing the contracts and ultimately signing. But in the last several years, four or five, six years, that that signing period has really drastically ratcheted up. So, you know, we're seeing third years and even second years being presented offers and contracts while they're in veterinary school. They have years to go until they graduate. Quite honestly, most fourth years come their spring semester have either already, you know, entered the match for their internship, you know, signed up for advanced education or they have a contract, you know, signed. And so really, I, I feel like this is, you know, the things we're talking about today are really aimed at first year, second year, third year veterinary students, and also those veterinarians that are renegotiating their contract. And so I think we should talk a little bit about that, or actually a lot about that renegotiation. Mm -hmm. And June though, May and June are still those traditional times where veterinarians do change jobs because those one-year contracts are, right. are up and they're, you know, and they're moving on to their next job. So we are hitting the timing right, but you know, the, the fourth years, um, I, I really wish they would wait <laughs> a little bit, you know, and, and pump the brakes on signing these contracts, you know, until they they fully, uh, you know, get close to the finish line in veterinary school and really see what the market's going to do right until they graduate. Yeah, that's a really good point, and and I appreciate you bringing that up, especially because I mean, if we've seen nothing over the last four years, we have seen change. Yeah. Uh, so so I've been I've been doing this since you know 2014 15. You know, mm -hmm. seeing veterinary contracts and helping veterinarians through, you know, their employment process. The changes have been remarkable just in that short period of time. <laughs> I mean, a lot, a lot has changed in the world and a lot has changed in the veterinary profession in that amount of time. You know, but the, the rate that these contracts, these offers, you know, the compensation, the employment seen within veterinary medicine is evolving it is really mind-boggling if you take a step back and look at it this is no longer the you know the handshake agreement you know and and let's my word is oak you know the, the profession dealt with for years and years you know we've seen essentially a monumental shift in the way that employment is carried out in veterinary medicine mm -hmm. all right well then i would say let's dive right in and talk about what should first year second year third years and you know we would hope fourth years um, think about as they're talking about their first full-time negotiation and contracts. Yeah. So this is coming from someone that, you know, that has helped a lot of veterinarians into their employment contract, but also helped a lot of veterinarians get out of their employment contract. So it's kind of like the, equally as important, equally important. <laughs> so, you know, and I think it's very important to note that a large number of first year veterinarians don't stay with that practice. I don't have good data on it, but I would expect it to be 50, 60, you know, 65% of those veterinarians aren't going to stay in their contract. So as we discuss getting in the contract, we really got to discuss what's it look like if we have to break up? How do we get out of it? Mm -hmm. Now, getting to that situation is probably, you know, kind of my first tidbit of advice is, we don't want to get in that situation where we have to leave employment, you know, inside of a year, you know, for reasons that are, you know, basically outside of our control. So my first tidbit of advice for any veterinarian looking for a job is really take the mindset that you're interviewing the practice, that you're checking the practice out. Does this practice, you know, does the culture, does the medicine, does the communication style, do the people mesh with you? 
So you're, you hopefully will be happy in six months, eight months, a year, two years, three years down the road. For, for my purposes, that's much more important. And I really want to point out before we even start talking about compensation and benefits and all these legal terms, we want to keep in mind that that employment is much more than just money and benefits. It's it's right. where we spend the majority of our day. It's where the people that we see and deal with, you know, all day long. I mean, we see these the the four walls of the practice more than we see our own family, our own pets, our own kids, you know, et cetera. So really, you know, focus on what I call the soft issues of of the practice. Does the practice culture mesh with you and and really take the mindset that I'm going to check out the practice, but I'm also going to check out a lot of practices. And Jordan, that kind of leads me into, you know, my my second tidbit of advice is is do lots of interviews, get mm -hmm. lots of offers, interview at multiple different practices, even though you may not be 100% interested in that practice, give them a chance and 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 go through the interview process if nothing else just for practice just so you get better at it so you know one thing that you know that i've noticed over the years and in, in owning practices and interviewing veterinarians and interviewing others the first time that someone interviews and negotiates it, i say it's kind of like surgery it's painful for everyone involved <laughs> it, it is it's fortuitous and so you know, interviewing is kind of like surgery. That first one, your cortisol and your anxiety is through the roof. The second one, it's a little bit better. The third one, it's a little bit better. By the time you do four or five or six of them, it's, you know, it's, it's, an, it's, it's old hat. It's, it's natural. And that cortisol mm -hmm. and anxiety, there's no way it's going to come showing through. So, you know, get that practice with, with other hospitals, get that practice with, with jobs that you're not exactly hundred percent excited about, but give them a chance, give it everything you've got. But what it's doing from a technical negotiation standpoint, it's giving you this thing called BATNA. BATNA stands for best alternative to negotiated agreement. Basically any negotiation book that you read, there's entire chapters or sections on this concept of BATNA. And one of the best ways to negotiate more effectively is to develop options, to develop your options. And so BATNA in layperson's terms basically means, what are your options? If this negotiation doesn't work out, where else can you go? So strengthening your options, strengthening your BATNA, one of the strongest ways to negotiate effectively. That's really, I think, uh, so true with everything in life, right? The things that we're not used to doing, we become really uncomfortable with, right? And yeah. it's so easy to be really uncomfortable the first time we do it. And then everything with practice, whether it be surgery or negotiating a contract or starting a new workout or whatever it might be, at first, it can be really, really scary. And then you do it more and more and you just get more comfortable with it, right? And I think knowing your options is exactly that, is getting comfortable with what might be uncomfortable now, but can pay, as we said in the beginning, huge dividends later. Yeah, it, it takes a strong, a strong veterinarian and a strong, you know, student to go out and put themselves on the line. Most people want to get through that interview and get, you know, right. get, get, move on to something else as soon as possible. But basically, coming back and being, you know, quote unquote, glutton for punishment um, will pay dividends when it comes to finding the right job, getting the right compensation, getting the right benefits package. Yeah, and I love that because it helps them get more comfortable with it. So say a, you know, a, a new veterinarian or 
potentially first year, second year, third year at this point, um, are, are given a contract and they want to try and interview at multiple different places. How do you also delicately balance those different places if you think they're going to talk to each other or, you know, if owners know each other and they're talking about different people they're interviewing, how do you, how do you manage that? Yeah. So great question. And super common question that comes up every time that I speak to a group about negotiation. And I think something that, that many members of the audience will often do is they'll mix up personal relationships, romantic relationships with business relationships. And so, you know, it feels kind of dirty to go interview somewhere else. It kind of feels like you're cheating on that first practice, maybe that practice that you were at with high in high school or undergraduate. But this is not a romantic relationship. This is a business relationship. So it is perfectly okay and acceptable to go see what else is out there. It's it's not acceptable to do that if you're in a you know in a romantic. Relationship. <laughs> yeah, we're not covering that topic here. Yeah, we're not covering that, that type of negotiation here. And so unwinding, separating those two is the first you know first thing to do. It, it, kind of get over the fact that it doesn't feel right because you're you're mixing mm-hmm. up types of relationships. The second thing is, and, and for good, bad, or worse, um, you know, veterinary medicine is not in that place where a lot of practitioners are talking anymore. And so, right. you know, I, I have very little fear about interviewing at multiple different practices and, you know, and having the practitioners talk. And if they mm-hmm. do, that kind of creates a bit of a test for me, Jordan, because if if they do and they say, well, you went and interviewed at, you know, the practice down the road, you know, and that's wrong. It's like, well, are you jealous of me doing that now? How, what's important right. to look mm-hmm. like in four months, five months, a year or two years if, if you're, you know, for already displaying some jealous tendencies. And so, you know, right. a lot of the negotiation process I want you to keep in mind is really a testing the other side, getting to know what type of person they are what their behavioral characteristics are, and is this a person that you can enter into a long-term relationship with? And, and that's a really important point that I want to drive home, Jordan. What we're talking about today is relationship-based negotiation, and that is completely different than transactional negotiation. So some of your listeners probably signed on today thinking that we were going to talk about transactional transactional negotiation, which is basically buying a car, right? Buying a used car, buying something off of Facebook Marketplace or Craigslist. You know, you give them the money, they give you the item, the car, and that's the last time you ever see that person again. That's a transaction. That's a transactional Mm -hmm. negotiation. The thing that's happening is haggling, where you're haggling back in price, essentially over, haggling back and forth, essentially over the price. What we're describing when we're talking about employment relationships in veterinary medicine This is a relationship-based negotiation. After you do the negotiation, that's when the true relationship starts. That's when you really have to spend a lot of time with that person. So approaching this from the fact that we are building a relationship, we are are getting to know that other person, and also that person's getting to know us, our needs and our wants, this is what helps build that relationship. So that's, that's the mindset that we want to go in thinking about not, hey, I've got to go haggle over the price. Mm-hmm. And that's that's a really interesting uh, approach and very good, I think, distinction because so often we think of it as just, as you're saying, buying a car, it's transactional, just trying to get the best price. But then at the end of the day, you're done, 
right? You're not at the car dealer buying a, a, a car and then having lunch with that person next week, right? And versus this is you're just, you're beginning to enter into this. And to your point earlier, when you're talking about the culture, like really making sure that this is a good fit for you in many ways, right? Because what you're prepping for in veterinary school is, is the medicine, but what you're experiencing when you're out are people, a lot of people, right? And all of us people come with all our own stuff, right? And then on top of that, the the inner office politics and and the almost sales approach with clients for those that are practicing in a practice. And there's so much more that goes with that. Or if they're going into another area of industry or academia, there's always going to be people there, right? That's the, that's, the, that's the common trend among all of it. And so that's a really important point to make sure that you're realizing that is this somebody you want to enter into a business relationship with? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And when people call to say, hey, I need out of my contract, I need out of this employment, it's rarely because they didn't get enough money or they didn't get the right benefits. Almost every time it's, I cannot work with these people anymore. I cannot. This is a toxic workplace. I do not fit in here. I don't fit in with the clients. This is what causes mm -hmm. the consternation. So you know, I, you know, to, to almost belabor the point, it's really about finding the practice that fits well for you and happens to have the right compensation and benefits and other, other uh, factors that we all have bills to pay. Yeah. I had a colleague recently tell me that she, you know, she really enjoys proxy medicine. She is, she does work in a practice as an associate and she has been to multiple practices just trying to find the right fit. Right. And it's probably yeah. not the right fit of the animals, right? <laughs> it's the right fit for the people in the practice. And so, um, and, and so that's really important. So as we were talking about sort of those that are, you know, not new grads, but those that are have been in the workforce and they want to renegotiate what are some tips for renegotiation this is uh so as salaries have risen drastically over the last five or six years i'm seeing a lot of this and i'm seeing a lot of you know pretty extreme discontent among older you know more experienced practitioners that you know aren't getting aren't being paid as much as you know, a new graduate, you know, they have three, four, five years of experience, you know, with the new graduates getting hefty signing bonuses, higher salaries, more time mm -hmm. off, better benefits, you know, and, and that's, and that's really, you know, for, for rightful reasons, problematic for those that have been there for, you know, longer. So the, my first step of advice to those folks that are renegotiating is know what the statistics are, know what the average starting salary for, uh, full-time, you know, associates are at this point. And, and by the way, Jordan, for 2021 graduates, this is the last year that we have data on, uh, for small animal exclusive veterinarians, the national average for starting salaries is $103,881. And so just a touch under $104,000. Very mm -hmm. few people, experienced veterinarians, will guess that that starting salary is that high, but that, that's the national average. Um, across the board, certain locations are certainly higher than that. In fact, I'm no uh, genius at statistics, but 50% of the locations are higher than that. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, so it's quite a surprise to a lot of experienced associates that learn that is the starting salary for first year veterinarians at this point. And obviously with experience, you know, that salary should go up from there. 
So mm-hmm. know that data uh, and know know what is happening out there. So when you do go to ask, you want to be prepared with data. So when we're when we're when we're making negotiation stances, the best way to do it, other than you know developing lots and lots of of options, is to come with data. If you say stuff like I feel like I deserve more, or it's not fair that that they're getting more than I'm getting, or I want more. Those are not those are not solid arguments for you know for that employer. Coming with mm-hmm. hey, I, I went ahead and did my research. I looked up what the starting salary is. I looked at the Bureau of Labor Statistics. I know what veterinarians in this geographical area are making on average. Um, I had a chance to look at what other practices in the area are offering. Um, and for these reasons, I can establish that a fair salary would be X. That's a statement that will move an employer, um, not necessarily mm-hmm. I want more. The right. second thing that will move employers for those that are already practicing is what is your production? And so I know a lot of us are paid on salaries. A lot of us are paid on on some sort of production hybrid. Um, but at the end of the day, it all comes down to how much money that the, that the veterinarian is bringing in and are they supporting themselves? And so knowing your production numbers and knowing how that's going, even if you're paid on salary, makes your contract negotiation go oh so much better. If you are not producing and not able to meet those production thresholds, you know, then that's a problem. That's that means we've got to go back to the drawing board and look how we can become productive for the following year. But if you already are, and most veterinarians are meeting those production thresholds, then having being armed with that data makes the contract negotiation go much easier. So I think you've just touched on something there that I, I, I know a lot of veterinary students struggle with, which is weight production. Like that's not, you know, when they go into contracts, that's something that I know that a lot of students are thinking like, I could really use some benefit there. Could you give a little snippet understanding that we could do an entire episode on just production on its own? Production-based compensation packages. And so the way that I kind of think of it, Jordan, is, is there's three basic ways that a veterinarian can get paid. They can get paid on straight salary. They can be paid on straight mm-hmm. production, or they can be paid in some sort of hybrid. I call them base or production hybrid models. Base or production hybrid models are extremely common throughout all types of private practice. I would estimate probably 65% of all veterinarians are paid on some sort of base or production hybrid. And so for those students that are out there, um, it is one of those things that there's a there's a great likelihood that you are going to be paid on with some production component to your 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 salary your your wage payments your compensation and so yes we can do an entire section uh, uh, on this <laughs> exclusively um, but you know know for now that that is something that we do have to think about we do have to track regardless of whether you're paid on straight salary or a production model Okay, so those that are re- that are looking to renegotiate, uh, one, know your stats, look at the labor bureau stats there, know, and then also know what your production is. Yes, and the and the easiest way that I find to to do this or to to restart the negotiation process, this actually works for everyone as well, is you want the other side to come to the table in a collaborative posture. And so I see a lot of veterinarians that kind of get to their 
wits in their emotional end and, and, you know, basically, you know, lose some emotional cool when they're going to call this meeting. And the way that you call the meeting on, Hey, we need to talk about my compensation actually has a lot to do with how the meeting goes. And so let's take a step back for a second where I'm going to go back to relationships here. So let's say my wife's a veterinarian, by the way, she's an internship trained equine veterinarian. Let's say that she's getting ready to go to work one day. We're both getting ready and you know, she's getting her lunch together and she looks over at me and she says tonight after the kids go to bed, we got to talk. And she puts her apple and her diet Coke and her lunch, you know, her lunch bag. And she walks out the door. What's the rest of my day look like? <laughs> it's looking great. It's looking calm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's, you know, there's a ball in the pit of the stomach. I mean, you go through just a entire flash of emotion. So don't ever do that to right. your significant other. Right. <laughs> Um, <laughs> Don't do that to my husband. Got it. Okay. Lance yeah, said, uh, right. And, and so, <laughs> you know, so, so the natural human nature is to, you know, go through the thought process. What did I do? What did I not knew um, to basically start creating an alibi of, and, and also create defense mechanisms. If she says this, then I'm going to say that the whole day, my brain, you know, in its fight or flight finest is thinking mm -hmm. about this conversation the, tonight. Now, let's take that over to the negotiation or renegotiation posture. If you, you know, the associate veterinarian says, next week, we have to talk about my compensation. Next week, we have to renegotiate this contract. Or if you just even say it more nicely, hey, can we have a meeting next week? I need to renegotiate my contract. If you say that to the employer, then they've got the whole week to prepare their defense to pull the numbers, to talk to their partner, to talk to, you know, their other leadership team and find mm -hmm. ways for them to tell, you no. And so they're right. basically coming to the table in a defensive posture because every, I mean, everybody wants to, you know, pay as little as possible. That's just human nature. Um, and they know that you're going to be asking for something. So we want them to come to the table in a very collaborative posture. And so even the way that you ask for that meeting, you know, saying something like, hey, I'm looking for my annual review. I'm looking for some feedback on how I'm doing in the hospital. Um, I'm hoping that we can review how this year went. These are things asking for feedback will bring them to the table in a way that they are thinking about that meeting in a positive fashion. Now, hopefully they have nothing but good things to say about, hey, the clients love you. The team loves you. Patients love you. Everything's going well. Okay, if everything's going well, here are some things that we can talk about as far as my compensation goes. And so, so, you know, giving them the opportunity to start the meeting in a positive fashion changes the entirety of the conversation. Yeah, that's, that's so true across the board as humans, right? How we start with any sort of conversation determines how it's going to go. And if you start with the defensive, this needs to happen. I'm coming at you like this immediately. Our guard's going to be up. Right. So I, I really like taking that relationship approach and applying it um, while it's not personal, it's business, still applying it from a strategic psychological perspective of let's just set ourselves up for success here. Right. And probably, I mean, if you say I'm looking for some feedback, I'm thinking the owner might be thinking, God, is she going to be asking for some more money? But that's still a different approach than, you know, you know, I need to discuss it. 
an experienced leader, you know, is, is going to know what is happening, but right. they still appreciate that approach much more than the demand approach. Of course. Yeah, because it comes from this collaborative, you know, I'd like to get some feedback, which is opening it up to, I'd like to hear what you're thinking about how I'm doing my job versus I need demanding this. So I like that approach. Yeah, quite honestly, it's a refresher. So those that have, you know, managed multiple practices or, you know, owned a practice before, it's rare that someone comes to you and says, I'd like to improve. I'd like to work on some things. I'd like to get your feedback. Um, and I mean, mm-hmm. that's that's a very refreshing approach uh, versus the alternative. Yeah, and honestly, probably one we can use in all aspects of our life, right? <laughs> yeah, at the end of the day, what we're trying to do is, is uh, you know, is get our interests met. And so, you know, that's another huge component of negotiation training is, is before we get into that meeting, sit down and list your interest. What do you want to take away from it? If you don't know what you want going into the meeting, there's no way that the other side is going to give you what you want. I mean, they're not going to read your mind. And so sitting down with that interest list and thinking through, you know, this, these are the things that are very important to me. And here's what's really interesting, Jordan, is that interest list, it's obviously different for everyone. I, I can't, you know, tell you mm-hmm. what, what anyone's going to be, but it changes over time. You know, so at certain points in your career, you're going to value certain things about your job. In other parts of your career, you're going to value different things. And that's completely cool. But again, the only person that can know that is you, not your spouse, right. not your mentor, definitely not your boss. Um, it's it's really a, a soul searching exercise that that every person has to do. Okay, so we've gone through sort of new grads, first time doctors. We've gone through those looking to renegotiate. Part that might come with ne- the renegotiation or after is there's definitely some colleagues that are looking to get out of the contract. Yeah. <clears throat> so one of the first things that I look at that I was trained to look at when reviewing a contract, someone getting into the contract is how to get out of the contract. And this is something that I've seen change drastically in veterinary medicine just in the last four or five years. And I think it has something to do with the influx of, you know, of corporate medicine and the veterinary medicine. It certainly has something to do with COVID and the job market associated with veterinary medicine. But at the end of the day, what practices are trying to do, some practices are trying to do is lock that associate in to their employment. And they do that with a couple of different ways. One is is signing bonuses. Um, And I've written extensively on signing bonuses and the strings that are attached to those signing bonuses. Um, And and that's kind of the carrot-based approach is, hey, we're gonna give you this money, but if you leave, Mm -hmm. you you gotta pay this money back to us. The other way that they lock veterinarians in, and this is not every practice, this is some practices, the way that some practices lock veterinarians into their employment is they create a, a contract for a term, meaning that the veterinarian can't leave when they need to leave, when they want to leave. And so what the veterinarian is looking for getting into the contract and also getting out of the contract is for an at-will termination cause, an at-will termination mm-hmm. provision. Basically, it says that you can leave the employment at any time for any reason or for no reason at all, subject to a certain amount of days of notice. That's what we're looking for in the contract before somebody even gets in the contract. And that's what we're looking mm-hmm. for if someone wants to get out of the contract. If that provision is not in there, that allows the practice to sue for breach of contract. And I'm seeing more and more contracts that have 
that don't have this at-will termination provision, which leaves the veterinarian in a very bad place. It's a job they don't want. It's a job that they want to leave. If they do leave, they've been threatened with a lawsuit. That lawsuit is for a lot of money, hundreds of thousands of dollars. So they are legitimately trapped in this situation. And Jordan, this is where Venn Foundation's resources really come in, you know, through the, the Vets for Vets, uh, you know, resources. But this is where mm-hmm. I see veterinarians that are really struggling with mental health yeah. um, and, and, even, and even suicidal thoughts. No, it is really, we see a lot of colleagues who are reaching out and just struggling because they want to leave their practice and they don't know how. And, you know, it boggles my mind because why would you as an employer want somebody there that's unhappy and doesn't want to be there, right? I mean, we all know that people that are not in a good emotional mental state don't do good work across the board, right? I mean, it's it's meaning it's challenging for them to do so because they're unhappy. When we're unhappy, we don't make the best decisions, right? When we're feeling emotionally and mentally stressed and overwhelmed, we are not at our best. So why would you, why as an employer would anybody want somebody there that's in that state, right? I mean, if I'm correct, California is an at-will state, right? So irrelevant to the contract, it's always at will. Is that correct? No, actually, Jordan, that's a that's a common misconception. And so oh, you know, states that yeah. are at will and there's about there's varying levels of at will employment. Um, but that is a state law default that that is what comes into effect if the parties don't discuss the termination. So a lot of people keep in mind don't have written contracts. They just have a handshake agreement. You come to work. Mm-hmm. I'm going to pay you X. That's the extent of the of the conversation. They don't discuss, hey, what happens if we need to to part ways? Well, the state law through the legislature or the court system has been decided that the default, the backstop is those parties meant at will employment. Heading over to veterinary contracts where there actually is a contract, where there actually is paper, ink on paper and signatures on paper, the parties have talked about that. And so mm-hmm. the contract will actually override the state law status of at-will employment. But I'm glad you brought that up because it's a, it's a question that I get almost literally daily. Um, and it's a very common misconception. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting. Okay, so those that are trying to get out, first and foremost, do you have an at-will contract? And a lot of them are saying no. So if there is the position of, I don't have an at-will contract, what are the options? Well, the, the options are not great. So we would much rather talk about this before mm-hmm. someone gets into a contract. I have very okay. few hard and fast rules as an attorney. Um, <laughs> and, and one of those rules is, is I will not let a client sign a contract that's not for at-will employment. There has to be a mm-hmm. way out of that contract. I feel that strongly about this. If When I'm working with a veterinarian that doesn't have an at-will contract, you know, then we've mm-hmm. got to pull out, you know, all sorts of stops. At the end of the day, Jordan, sometimes, you know, the situation is so toxic. The mental status of the veterinarian is so dire. I say, get in your car and drive off. We'll clean up the legal mess on the backside. It's not going to be pretty, but it's much better mm-hmm. than the mental status that, you know, that you're in right now. 
Yeah, and you know the I, I will link to it um, as the other as well as the other things that we're discussing during this episode in the episode notes as always. But the Vin Foundation does have a free model employment contract that our general counsel did create that is helpful for employers and employees. And I'd be remiss not to at least mention that that it is there for reference to help you as you're looking going into um, a a employment situation as well as potentially renegotiating. Um, so. Yeah, that okay. Pretty much, we pretty much want at will. We don't want to discuss the not at will. (laughs) Precisely, it's a it's a bad situation. It really is. Yeah. Okay, so what what resources are available for colleagues that are looking to learn more about contract negotiation? Besides this podcast, we'll put some links into the into the episode notes. But where would you suggest colleagues go that want more information? Yeah. So over, thanks for asking over at drip.vet, we have an entire negotiation course. It's free for students. And so you just go to drip.vet, um, go through, go to the CE catalog. Um, it's called the art and science of negotiation. It's about an hour and a half video course. It's presented at a lot of veterinary schools across the country. Um, if you enter the coupon code student, doesn't matter on the case, you know, lowercase, uppercase, if you enter the coupon code student, um, then students uh, can uh, basically sign up and take that course for free. Wonderful. We will definitely link to that in the episode notes as well. And our, you know, one thing I'll just stop and say that I love about the drip courses is that they are for, (laughs) without playing on the words, they are dripping the information. And so it's little bits of information that you're able to comprehend and understand. And I think you guys do such a great job with that. So thank you for having that resource available. I appreciate that course, the, the, the negotiation course, the art and science of negotiation is broken into about six minute videos. And so it's one of those things where just like all of our C, you can, you know, watch it, you know, while you're walking the dog or waiting on a bus or Mm -hmm. whatever really quickly. Yeah, that can be very helpful. Are there resources that you wish were available that you're not seeing anywhere? You know, so that's a really good question. And it's, it's a kind of a pet peeve, pet project of mine, soapbox of mine, (laughs) if you will, Jordan, you know, but I, I, you know, working in this field and, and working with hundreds, if not thousands of veterinarians at this point, um, you know, in, in talking about negotiation, I, I think that we would be doing a pretty massive injustice to not talk about the gender gap. And so the gender gap is something that does exist in veterinary medicine. It's been well documented um, in veterinary medicine. And, and quite honestly, the vast majority of my clients were women. And, you know, and I would be basically doing them a disservice by not understanding as much as I can about the gender gap, about um, the way that women negotiate, the way that men negotiate. If we weren't talking about that today, I think we'd be doing everyone a disservice. But to that point, you asked about resources. I would love to see more pay transparency in veterinary medicine. I would love to see mm-hmm. uh, you know, more open source information about what veterinary salaries are. As someone that works on the inside, you know, when people send contracts or would send me contracts, I would see very different contracts even at the same practice in the same town from the same group practice and you know i know that's wrong there's there's something inherently Mm -hmm. wrong about that so you know it it, i'm basically calling on uh you know executives at group practices owners leaders within the profession you know to basically to make a commitment to pay equally and to pay fairly and i think one of the ways to do that is through a resource that says this is what this is what pay transparency looks like. 
I like that. I think that's a really good point. And that's and thank you for bringing that up. I you know, I didn't think it as we were talking about contracts that we would also talk but I think that it's, they're so tightly aligned that you absolutely have to talk about both of them. Uh, any other information you want to leave our audience with today? Yeah, so one of the things that that, uh, you know, often come up is, you know, is the number of people that are negotiating and, and the science, the studies actually tell us that only about 15% of people are actually going to negotiate their contract, which wow, um, it's, it's, it's really, really telling. Now, employers know that as well. And if they know that 85% of the people <laughs> are just going to sign the contract, you know, that hits the table and just be glad to get a job, um, they're going to offer low, right? And so um, right. it's phenomenal that salaries are coming up, but they're still not coming up to where they can be. When I see someone ask, ask, know what to ask for and ask for it correctly, I'll see swings of 15, 20, $30,000 regularly, Jordan. I mean, very, very common. Wow. If you just ask for That's it. That's so real money, Lance. It's a lot of money. It's a lot of money. Um, and, and it's just a function of being able to, 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 to develop the confidence just to make the ask. That's really the step mm -hmm. that, that we have to get from point A to point B. So I, I guess as a leaving comment, you know, my comment would be really know your worth to the practice. Know what, mm -hmm. what you could and can and will produce for that practice and, and be able to confidently ask for it. That, that piece in itself is a lot easier said than done, you know, to go ahead and, and ask, you know, for more compensation and through the course and hopefully through other conversations like this, you know, we can talk to people about how to ask for it, what to ask for, you know, what sentences to say and things like that. But at the end of the day, it's really about knowing your worth and being confident enough to begin that ask. That's a great, that's a great point. Thank you so much. And, you know, I do like to ask this question at the end of some of our episodes, and I don't think we've had just you on yet, so I haven't been able to ask you, but do you have a secret talent or something that you enjoy doing that others might not know about? We get the most random answers <laughs> that I never thought would come. So I might be sitting here thinking I know what yours is going to be, and then it'll be something totally different. Yeah, this is a, this is really a... Um... I really appreciate that question. It, it uh, really gave me pause. You know, um, so I, I'm actually coaching an 11 and 12 year old baseball team right now. And there you, you go. Know, Wasn't expecting that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the learnings that I'm taking away from that are just <laughs> negotiation <laughs> monumental. Um, and, and also too, it's, it's just a tremendous amount of fun. You know, uh, you know, working with these kids, watching them develop, and uh, and basically honing my negotiation skills and and in and a lot of its communication skills on how to, um, you know, how to how to communicate with a with an eleven and twelve year old boy and actually get it to go in. <laughs> so I, I think I think I'm developing a secret talent, uh, Jordan. I think I, I might have a career as a as a little league baseball coach in the future. There you go. So if this veterinarian and attorney thing doesn't work out, then you're all set up. You're good. For the high paying, <laughs> high stakes world of, uh, of, of 10 year old base, 10, 11, 12 year old baseball. Hey, that's a pretty serious world. I know how serious that can get. Yeah. I have some friends that dedicate their lives to that. So, 
Well, thanks so much, Lance, for being here. I really appreciate you always taking the time to help our audience and listen and provide, you know, your very helpful information and expertise and advice. So thank you so much. I'm sure that we'll have you on the podcast again soon. Thank you. I appreciate it. I mean, my goal in my life, my career uh, for that, you know, my goal in my career is to make sure that veterinarians are happy in their jobs, that are well compensated in their jobs and, and get the benefits that they deserve. I mean, that's that's what I've basically dedicated my career to. Well, I, I know that there are many colleagues that are very grateful for that. I'm grateful for the time and effort that you put towards colleagues and all of your advice and help. And so uh, seeing you firsthand just even a few weeks ago at SAVMA when somebody said that they were going to take one approach and you pretty much threw everything down and said, no, wait, we need to have this conversation. <laughs> it's clear that it's a passion of yours. So thank you so much for all that you're doing. Thank you, Jordan. Thank you for joining us for this episode of The Veterinary Pulse. Please check the episode notes for additional information referenced in the podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, please follow, subscribe, and share review. We welcome feedback and hope you will tune in again. You can find out more about the VIN Foundation through our website, vinfoundation.org, and our social media channels. Thank you for being here. Be well.